Welcome to the Crown Council's Mentor of the Month podcast. This is Stuart Anderson. This program has been part of Crown Council since its very beginning, as we believe that in order to copy the genius of others, you've got to be willing to ask. So in this Mentor of the Month, I ask John Acuff. He's a New York Times bestselling author of six books, including his most recent Wall Street Journal number one bestseller, Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. For over 20 years, uh, John has helped some of the biggest brands in the world tell their story, including Home Depot, Bose, Staples, and the Dave Ramsey team. He spoke at the Crown Council's annual event a few years ago, as well as to thousands of other people at conferences, colleges, companies, and churches. Uh, The Crown Council, if you don't know, is an international association of leading dental teams who are dedicated to seeking out and sharing best practices in order to improve the quality of care in every area of dentistry. This program is just one of many resources available to Crown Council members to help their dental teams build a culture of success. If you like this content, there's so much more available inside Crown Council. Just visit crowncouncil.org for more membership information. Now, John Acuff. All right, welcome to the Crown Council's Mentor of the Month. Stuart Anderson here. I'm joined with John Acuff. Hey, John. What's up? Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. You may remember John. He joined us at the annual event in Nashville. And uh, at the annual event, John talked about his do-over book, but he's got all new stuff, new and exciting stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, John, I, I want to get into it. Can you, can you start off by just telling your story, introducing who you are, and uh, just reminding everybody uh, where you got started, how this all works? Sure, yeah. I'd love to do that. Um, I mean, first and foremost, my mom's a dental hygienist and has been one for, I think she's going on 40 years now. So I like to say I grew up around dentist offices. Um, But my background, I was, I spent 15 years in corporate marketing and advertising and started some blogs and started to enjoy this social media thing and had the chance to write um, a book based on a blog I had. And from there got to write additional books and then really got fascinated with helping figure out where do people actually change and how do they change when you've got a goal and you've got something you're interested in, when you're passionate about something, how do you actually change that from i I'm going to do this someday to an actual thing you do. And so I wrote um, a book called quitter and start and do over. You just mentioned, and along the way realized that the part of the process people seem to have the hardest time with, regardless of the goal, regardless of the endeavor is the finish. Um, we're great at starting. Like we've all purchased a piece of exercise equipment that now sits in our garage and gathers dust and shame. But how do you actually finish the thing? We've all had business ideas. We've all had books we want to write. What does it take to actually finish? So um, I partnered with a PhD named Mike Peasley from the University of Memphis. And we studied nearly 900 people for six months as they worked on goals. And we created this book finish out of that process. And so for the last couple months I've been going to companies around the world to share the ideas in that because every company whether you're you've got a five-person company or 5,000 person company says hey help our people get better at finishing help them enjoy it more help us be more productive I, I still haven't met a company that says our people finish too many things we wish they they started and, and, and stopped more can you help them quit it's just the opposite <laughs> oh John one thing I love about you is that um, you don't do you're not very good at platitudes. You, you just tell it how it is, but it's actually the stuff that you talk about 
um, as, as a compliment, <laughs> it's doable. You know, the hard stuff that you talk about, it's funny, you know, the stories that you tell, and then they're applied to life in a way where I'm like, you know what, Th this is a good, this is a good idea. Um, <laughs> and I felt a lot of that with, with finisher. Um, uh, there's a quote that I love. It says, if culture's doing its job, you should, you shouldn't reward middle. You should reward finish. And, uh, as you know, crown council is all about culture, you know, training, uh, these offices, training teams and, and people join us because they want to improve that culture, be better. Uh, so could you, could you talk about, uh, perfectionism? Could you share a little bit about, teach us about perfectionism? Yeah. One of the funny things about perfectionism is we tend to talk about it like it's a character trait in a good way. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, you know, when somebody in a job interview and they go, what's your biggest weakness? And you go, oh, I'm a perfectionist. I tend to work too hard. Like that's a fake weakness that we kind of share. But what, what you find when you actually do the research is the person with the messiest office, the person with the messiest car is often a perfectionist. And you go, but aren't they type A? They can be, but if they can't clean it perfectly down to like the toothbrush level, they won't even start. And so they'll have empty coffee cups and, and I'll meet perfectionists. Like another bad sign is um, they'd rather get a zero than a C minus. An example of that is I'll meet people that'll say, I'm going to run five miles every day, but today I don't I only have time for three. So I'm just going to do zero. And I'll go, but, but you know, three is way more than zero. And so perfectionism really kind of gets in the way of, of what we're trying to actually finish and recognizing, you know, especially with corporate goals and corporate culture. Okay. How do we have goals that we're excited about that are big enough to be exciting, but aren't so perfectionistic. We never actually do them. And we have, you know, this is kind of the time of year we're talking in December a lot of people don't have New Year's resolutions. They have January resolutions. Right. And by February, they've already forgotten. And so I like to attack perfectionism and say, okay, it's not going to be perfect. It will be practical. Here's what we're going to do. Let's, let's grow it. Like one of the things that came out of the research was that if you try to lose 10 pounds, like maybe you try to lose 10 pounds and you only lose eight, you don't feel like you got close. You feel like you failed by two and you give up. Where if I get you to cut it to five pounds, you lose the same eight pounds, you feel like you won by three and you try again. And so what I like to do with the team is to go, okay, let's have those goals, but let's create a lifestyle of improvement, not just we, have, we go to a conference, we get really excited, and by the time we get home, we go, what was that thing? Like, I was really excited. And so I, I like to give practical tools, and that's what I love about Crown Council is that you definitely get inspired. You definitely get motivated. But the goal is that on a Monday, a month later, you have a thing you can do that's improving the culture of your office. And there's tangible things. Sometimes, like you said, people will say, ah, oh, your stuff's too practical. I don't take that as an insult. I take that as a compliment that, oh, you mean you can actually do it and it changes your environment? I, I received that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love it. And it, it's, it's fun too, because you know, your honest talk kind of inspires people to be like, you know what, John is a, is a practical guy. I can, I can do what he's asking because of his practicality, what you've done in your own life. Uh, so what, what advice would you give to that guy who's sitting there, our dentists who are like, well, I am a, I am a perfectionist, you know, what advice do you give to that guy or a person who I guess resembles the traits of a, of a perfectionist. Where do okay, they here's one that's really practical. One that, you know, I would, I would tell everybody from stage if given the chance that fun matters. 
one of the things that perfectionism chokes out of a culture is joy and fun. Hmm. And part of the problem is that we tend to look at goals and think they have to be serious or they have to be difficult to count. I mean, you ask the average person, you know, take a perfectionistic dentist. What are the five words you think of when you think of the word goal? They say hustle, discipline, willpower, sacrifice, persistence. They never say joy, laughter, engagement. And I think that's a big mistake. And so part of this research study we did, because I want to be able to go to, to dentists who are scientists and artists. Like, let's be very real. The dentist is a special combination of two very different things. And then you add CEO, like you talk about a really interesting kind of Venn diagram of things they have to do. But I wanted to go to dentists and say, fun matters, not just because it's good to have, it's a bonus, it's gravy, but fun will actually improve the performance of your office. Let me show you how. And that's what Finish does. And that's what I get excited to talk about is the value of that. So we studied it and can say, if you make what you do fun, you're 31% more satisfied, which is, it seems obvious. That one's kind of obvious. Like if I eat ice cream, that's more fun than kale. But the crazy one is if you make what you do fun, you're 41, 46% better performing. And so it's a value that you have to be deliberate about. The pushback, if you're a dentist listening is, well, great. Not everything we do is fun. And I 100% agree. And that's why the value isn't have fun. Like going to an amusement park is having fun. Skiing in Salt Lake City is having fun. The principle is make it fun. You have to be deliberate. And so you have to be really, especially as the leader, to put a value on fun. So to every perfectionistic dentist listening right now, I'd say, when was the last time fun was a priority? Not just something on a mug, not just something on a value sheet that's in somebody's wall when they're cleaning teeth, but when did you actually sit down with your staff and say, are we having enough fun? Is this thing we have to do, can we add more fun to it and make it a real actionable value? That's what's really interesting and really improves an environment. Very cool. I love it. And um, Crown Council docs are taught, you know, over the year, every 90 days, they should be planning some sort of uh, vacation, some sort of retreat, some sort of team activity where they're out of the office working on the team rather than, you know, working in the practice. So it fits so you know, that fits really good. It's excellent. Um, talk, can you talk about, uh, oftentimes, we come home from the annual event with so much stuff uh, and, and so many goals, so many new things for the new year. Talk about, talk about that. Can you, can you share a little bit more about too much, uh, taking on too much of it? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, um, one of the principles we studied, I, I would say that one of my favorite things to do is to take things we all believe or things we shout and put on the wall at the CrossFit gym and go, what does that mean? Is it really true? Does it work? Is it helpful? So one of the things that, you know, kind of when we talk about goals is people say, go big or go home. Like if your goal doesn't scare you, it's not crazy enough. Like you've got to make it massive. And I, I wanted to say, okay, well, does that really work? Does trying to do everything really work when you kind of test it? And it turns out it doesn't. What we saw over and over again is that people who made their goals smaller had longer term success, which feels counterintuitive until you realize, okay, when it's small and you actually do it, you can build on it. And that there's actually seasons, you know, and I would say every business, whether you're a dentist or a car dealership or an insurance agency has seasons that you go through. And there's things that we tend to go, okay, I'm going to do 10 things right now. And they're all in first place versus going, 
this is the season where we focus on staff development. We don't do it all at once. We focus on this part. And we know these other nine things will come during the right season. We don't have to do them right now. The temptation is to think we have to do it all right now. And then you end up diluting the, the results of all of it. So I think part of being a good leader is leaning into the power of restraint. And when I say restraint, I mean, you heard 20 amazing things at Crown Council and you really want to do all of them. Don't do them all at once. Have the restraint to sit your team down and go, here are the two things we're going to do. And, so, and sometimes you might feel lazy. Like you might go, I got to inspire them. We've got to have 40. But you know deep down that, okay, if we win at these two, it creates space and momentum for us to win at the next two and the next two and the next two. And it gives the people that work for you trust. They, they know, okay, we're not trying to do too much. Like one of the worst things that happens is when a leader in an attempt to look confident or excited announces a crazy goal or a crazy set of 10 goals and they don't hit any of them because what happens next time is there's this residue of distrust. The next time you announce a goal, everybody there goes, oh, remember that last crazy goal? Yeah, we didn't do anything with it and we'd stop talking about it. This is going to be just like this and it's harder to have buy-in. So I'd much rather you say, we have 10 things we want to do. We're going to finish these two and we're going to build on them over time in a smart way so that we get to do them all. We just don't do the thing, the New Year's thing, which is I meet people all the time. They'll go, I'm going to get into jogging. And I'll go, that's great. They'll go, yeah, I'm going to do a marathon. And I'll say, well, like, have you ever done a half marathon or like a 10K or a 5K, even just a K? Like, could you do a K? And they go, no, 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 I'm going to go for it. I'm doing an Ironman tomorrow. And then they inevitably get overwhelmed by the size of it and they don't run a 5k ever. But they've got a $10,000 bike. Yeah, they have a fi fiber carbon bike that is like light as a feather, um, <laughs> that is, you know, gorgeous, costs more than their car. Um, yeah, you, you know, in Salt Lake, I'm, I promise you, the, there are a lot of amazing bikes in a lot of garages. In Nashville, there's a lot of amazing guitar collections in a lot of garages. <laughs> hey, um, I thought this was an interesting phrase or an interesting concept in the book that maybe you can talk about strategic incompetence and why we should deliberately be terrible at some things. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So that phrase, um, the specific phrase strategic incompetence was a guy named Josh Davies, another PhD. Um, and the, the concept there is that you decide ahead of time, which things don't matter. Um, an example of that would be a lot of executives I work with, when we get down to them being honest, will say they hide in their inboxes. They mm -hmm. curate a really amazing inbox because it feels almost like work and gives you the sense that you're doing stuff when you're just trying to avoid the harder things. So strategic incompetence is saying, okay, during this busy season, these three things don't matter. I'm going to choose to bomb them. Um, you know, I, I always, whenever I work with a retail company, I beg them in November, sit your team down and find five things that don't matter until January. Like be incompetent at these five things during December because December is your Super Bowl month. If you're in retail, it's your Super Bowl month, which things don't matter. I just did that with my, my team the other day. I sat them down and said, hey, we've got the finished calendar, um, which is this massive wall calendar that people use to kind of track their goals. It's finishedcalendar.com. And this is calendar season. December is calendar season. So we don't need to work on stuff we can work on in February. We can't sell the calendar. Nobody buys a calendar in March and is like, you know how a lot of your year is already gone? Buy a calendar. That doesn't make any sense. We need to be 
deliberate about not doing certain things, even if they seem shiny or sexy or loud, we need to do the right thing at the right time and be okay that we're not going to be good at certain things on purpose. Very good. Huh. It's, it's an interesting concept, especially in our, in the crown council business. I mean, a lot of these, you know, a lot of our doctors know that we run the crown council, we run the crown council membership, but then come October, November, December, January, we are full time now planning the annual event when, when we gather everybody together. And uh, I, I feel myself doing, you know, stuff like that, taking the things that I've, I've normally been doing and, uh, and everything is, is kind of changing during these months. So. And it should be. And because it's not, you know, this is the time to do that. And right. you, you know, but part of it is if you run really fast and never see, you never see the patterns. So sometimes it's, you know, you're a busy dentist, you're wearing 52 different hats, you're running so fast, you don't have time to pause and go, wait a second. If I look at the year, if I take a year view, I can start to kind of see some patterns. Like I shouldn't be surprised that this time of year is always busy for this type of thing or this other type of year is really busy for this. I should lean into those and not be surprised. It's smart, strategic incompetence for a dentist to be, it'd be fun to examine kind of when it ebbs and flows and what, what things happen, you know, start of the school year, uh, times when we're, we're making new goals for the new year. So it's good. What, John, what, are there any great, I know you've got, I mean, I know you've got great stories from your research. Do any stand out that uh, would be fun to share? Yeah, I mean, one of my favorites that's just kind of this quirky one, I think part of it is um, that motivation and kind of how you apply goal setting techniques should be personal. Um, I, it has to be very personal, personal to you, personal to the people that, that work for you. I think sometimes as a leader, it's tempting to think people will be motivated by the same things you're motivated by. And one of my favorite kind of quirky personal stories was there was a guy that I interviewed named Steve in the book, and he had uh, like a huge jacuzzi bathtub that he loved at his house. And it took probably 15 to 20 minutes to fill up. And he also had a long list of items his wife wanted him to do around the house. Small stuff, you know, changing bulbs here, different things that he needed to do. So he said, okay, I'm not motivated to do any of those, but I'm going to make it a condition before I get into the jacuzzi bathtub, I'm going to turn the water on and I'm going to spend 20 minutes doing one of the items from that list. And he did it so consistently that now he said, I can't get into the jacuzzi hot tub without doing an item or I feel guilty. Like it's this funny jacuzzi Pavlov kind of <laughs> technique. And I use that because I think there's little things you pick up along the way that you go, this might look weird from the outset, but I just crushed my entire list of things my wife wanted me to do. Um, this might look strange to some people, but it really works for me. So I think two things. One, you have to figure that out for yourself. But two, it's really powerful when you figure that out for the people that work for you. Um, yeah. Every dentist has had this experience where you sit somebody down who maybe it's just not working out. Um, there's a couple things that they're just not doing right. And you say, Hey, I need you to fix these things. And if you don't like, we're going to have to have a difficult conversation. And if they're not motivated by consequences, it goes right over their head. Like even on the day you have to let them go, they go, it's a pretty good day, not a bad day. And you want to go, no, it's a terrible day. But your job as the leader is to understand, okay, Jill doesn't respond to consequences. Jill responds to reward. Okay. So what's a small reward system I can help her figure out that's personally matched to who she is so that her improvements happen strategically and over time 
and she becomes the kind of employee I know she can be. And so that's where I say, you know, motivation, goal setting, it's not one size fits all. And I think that that's what I love about the Crown Council is that sometimes you go to events where all the advice from stage is for extroverts. And if you're an introvert, like the extrovert on stage is like, talk to 50 people during lunch and an introvert's thinking, I was gonna eat in my car because I'm already over people. And I love that at Crown Council, they go, okay, this is specific to you. Here's something unique you can apply. Here's something that might work for you. And the advice is broad enough and varied enough that whoever's sitting in the crowd can go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's something I'm gonna try at my office. That's something I'm gonna try at my practice. I think that's really critical. Um, well, John, as we wrap up, um, I, I wanna just ask you one more, one more quick thing before we wrap up. Um, and that is to challenge the Crown Council to do something. So as they, as they move forward, is there uh, any quick challenge? I know that one of the challenges, you know, eradicating the word perfect or, or something like that. Any, any real great challenge you want to give them before we, before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a, a really, really simple challenge is what we talked about to ask that question. Um, are we having enough fun? Um, even when it's stressful, especially when it's stressful. Are there ways we could have more fun? Um, that would be one question. And then the other challenge I'd give you is, I dare you to ask your coworkers or people that work for you, what do you need? Like, what do you need? And, and I think that we have to remember, when you ask somebody what they need, they become visible and valuable. And I think that's a really big thing as a leader is to ask somebody what they need and to actually listen to it. I think that sometimes a simple question like that can help change a culture. And to get into a habit of asking questions like that, I think, is a really powerful, simple thing to do that doesn't take a thousand steps. It takes asking one or two questions. Very right, cool. Thank you, John. I, um, I enjoyed being with you. We had a lot of fun behind stage at, at Crown Council, and I know you ski a lot here in Salt Lake City. So hopefully we'll see more of you at an at upcoming annual event. And, and Yeah, I'd lo I love it. I'm a, I, I spoke at a Mortensen Dental event probably about three weeks ago. Nice. Uh, so I've done, because of my interaction with Crown Council, I've had the chance to speak to a lot of dentists and it's really fun for me. And like I said, uh, with a mom that's a dental hygienist, it's, it's fun to get to tell some of those stories about growing up. So, and you know, last thing I'll say, a shout out to my dentist, Dr. Wells. Um, <laughs> absolutely love my dentist. Um, I can't say good enough things about my dentist, even though I don't think good enough is a very writery thing to say. Um, he's really gooder. No, but I, I love my dentist and I love um, the office I get to go to and I love that they introduced me to Crown Council. He is goodest. And they I think wore, so too. And they wore John Aka faces in the audience. When they you were did. That is 100% of the events that that's ever happened at. Um, although, no, I should take that back. They came, I did a comedy night in Nashville and they brought one of the faces to the comedy club. And so um, it was fun to, fun to have them support that. So yeah, I, I love my dentist. I, I uh, can't say that enough. Thank you, John. I'll let you go. I appreciate you being with us. Thanks, Stuart.